Hello, and welcome to the Financial Emancipation Podcast. I'm your host, Malik Branch, and this is a podcast discussing the ways in which you can walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Welcome back for another week. Thank you for joining me. So today, um, I want to start the podcast off by telling a story. So um, I just had a birthday in December, so I am now 38 can't believe that sometimes I'm like oh my god I'm 38 yes I'm 38 and um just as a note to like what my life was like today um yesterday I realized that um I saw on the internet that yesterday was a 20 year anniversary of back that ass up and it's like what 20 years because I remember when back that ass up came out I remember being at black bike week in Myrtle Beach I remember being 18 and just like this was like the best thing ever so to hear that there's a 20 year anniversary to that it's quite fascinating because you think about that in your life like oh my god something that was really pivotal to my life happened 20 years ago how can that be but then you realize it's because you're 38 (laughs) um and so this is the time when things that were pivotal to your life will have happened 20 years ago so shout out to juvenile and the whole cash money um family for that um, but I, the, that's not the general story I wanted to tell. I just wanted to give you that context of my age. And so for the story I wanted to tell was that when I was 24, 23, going on 24, the year we all turned 24. And um, I have a certain core group of friends. We've all been friends since we were you know, very young. And so we went through a lot of milestones in our 20s together. And one of the first milestones, and I tell this story, um, I'm sure my friend who's listening and who this story is about, she she and I have talked about this, so it's okay. Um but we were young, we were 23, turning 24, and she was getting married. She got engaged. Um, she had moved in with her boyfriend at the time. She got engaged, and she was getting married, and she had a really beautiful wedding and everything. And I remember, you know, when people were pushing back on the fact that she was too young to be getting married, she didn't think so because she said that her grandparents had gotten married young, and she had a very, um, she very, she very much adored her grandparents and saw their love story as one for which, you know, could be recreated and that it was okay. Grandma and grandpa got married young and it was fine and and, and it was going to be um, all good. And I mean, that at the time, I remember, and again, being that young, having had a grandmother who my grandfather had passed away before I was born, but my grandmother was married to my grandfather as well from not as young. My grandmother got married later and a little later in life as they say, but then she got married at 27. And um, so it, it, it's, it you know, I had had older women in my life who were were had different views on marriage. Again, both my grandmother and my great aunt, who I was very close to, had husbands who had both died before them and died when they were relatively young in their in their forties and fifties. So they were living this last part of their lives when they had grandchildren as women who were no longer married. You know, they were widowed, and I guess some of that time gave them a little perspective. So they had kind of talked to me a lot about what it was like to be married. Most of my great aunt, my grandmother didn't, was not a woman of many words, but my great aunt talked a lot about what it was like to be married and what it meant and her belief that, you know, as a young woman, I should kind of, um, I should pursue something different than that because while she loved her husband, she was another one who got married later and people were kind of like, you know, they were really looking at her like, what are you going to do? And she never had children. And that was another thing that people kind of gave her the looks for. She worked, you know, there were a lot of things that kind of gave Um, gave people pause at that time and we're talking about the 50s and you know the 50s kind of yeah probably like the 50s 60s so 
very different perspectives from my grandmother to my great aunt, but still this idea that, you know, that back then women got married for different reasons and money and finances and stability and security was a lot of those reasons. And men got married so that they could have a family and become and could be considered stable and et cetera. So everyone was getting married for different reasons. But back to my friend who got married, she wanted to get married. She wanted to, you know, have the, the story that her grandparents had. And again, even at that young age, I was able, and I think she and I had a conversation where I kind of was like, it's not the same to have, you know, your grandparents and now it's not the same. Um, and, and, you know, that was a long conversation. And, and I still think she believed that she could have what her grandparents had. And I have other friends who talk about that as well. And so she got married and, you know, subsequently the relationship didn't last and she ended up getting divorced. But I think one of the things um, that came up was about the, you know, the idea of what grandma and grandpa went through and not her specifically, but anyone's grandmother and grandfather and the stakes of which when people got married then and what it really meant for the woman and for the man and where the freedom really and truly was in marriage and how much of marriage back then was tied to finances, a man's ability to provide, a woman's ability to provide a family. It was very clear and cut. There wasn't a lot of ambiguity to it. And so men weren't able to not be able to provide for their family as a general rule. And women weren't really able to make choices around finances in the sense of how the money was earned. Many women historically took care of the finances. I have another friend whose grandparents were married for, I believe, I mean, gosh, I want to say 70 years um, until her grandmother passed away. You know, uh, granddad made the money. Grandma took care of the money, managed it. Grandpa didn't know nothing about nothing when it came down to how to manage the money, but he knew how to make it. So then that was their agreement. But she didn't know a lot of other things too about outside the home for which she depended on him to do. So this was an arrangement and an agreement that was being made. You know, she took care of the household. She managed the kids. She did all those things. He made the money. He came home. She, he, he got dinner. You know, these were arrangements and things like that lasted at that time for many different reasons. So I tell those stories to tell to bring up the topic as we're entering the last week of February, which is the topic of money and love, finances and love. What does it really mean now versus what it meant then? You know, many of us, again, look at other people, older relationships, um, things that of people who came before us, and we look at it and wonder maybe why we can't have those type of similar relationships. Maybe we aspire to them, or maybe we are trying to do something totally different and wondering why there might be some, you know, pull back and forth. We can't escape how we um, how we were raised or what we believe the role of people are. So, I mean, I have a cousin who will tell you straight up, like, and she's a very successful working woman, but she believes a man should, should, should be able to provide for the family. That's just her belief. And she would not, she didn't want, she had no desire to marry unless the person was going to be able to take care of her in a way of taking care of the family. She works. She brings plenty of money to the table, um, but she wants to be able to have a husband who whose whose role in the family is to provide. You know, I have I know other people who don't believe that the man's ability to provide in that way is essential. You know, they are the well, have have many friends who are the breadwinners in their relationships, and it's okay. You know, and and it's not it, it doesn't take away from anything for them because they found love and they found security and other things. But it's a very, it's a new way to navigate finances and love because traditionally um, the, the, the role of love, of, of finances 
in love and marriage was very distinct, right? There were men made the money, women probably managed the money in the household, but even if she made money, even if she earned money outside the house, the dependency for the family's survival financially was on the man. And so in those spaces and places, a lot of the decisions that get made are made by the man. Now, many marriages, again, have collaborative efforts no matter who is the breadwinner. But in society, there's an allowance for men who who were the breadwinners to make the decisions. Again, it may not be, he doesn't decide if we get, you know, groceries today or how, what's, which wouldn't you buy or what bill, but he does decide if he doesn't like his job and he wants to change his job and he's moving the family from New York to New Jersey, he gets to decide that because he's the breadwinner. If he decides that he's going to take a new promotion, it's going to make him work more hours, he decides that, you know. And so that level of, of, of difference, I guess, in relationship is it, it comes down to that to those finances and fin- financial stability. And so, you know, given that it's the month of February, there were a lot of um, online articles and research discussing love and money. And lately, there's been a lot of research into the connection between love and money. As women get educated more now than ever, like women are receiving higher education more now than ever in history. And those manufacturing and labor intensive jobs that were once held by men who could, you know, raise a, 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 you know, a family, a middle class family um, on. If you think about Michelle Obama, if you if you've read her book Becoming, which I suggest you do, she talks about her father who was uh, who worked at a, um, a plant, a manufacturing plant of some sort. And he even with MS, he still was able to. Yeah, the job was able to pay so that they were able to live a very, you know, nice lifestyle, middle class, sent two kids to college at Princeton and her mom didn't work until she was in high school. So, you know, there were those jobs, but those jobs are slowly and surely going away, dwindling away. And there's been a shift in re- in relationship dynamics as it relates to that. The f- more women going into the workforce and again, more women going into the workforce and being educated. There's been a push for equal pay because it was a time when women were entering the workforce but weren't making nearly as much as men. Now you're seeing that women are high earners at this point and coming to marriages and relationships later in life, which gives them an opportunity probably before they have children or before they get married to kind of climb up a little higher in the ladder. And therefore they come to relationships with their own earnings that make it a lot more quote unquote equal in a sense of um, the relationship and the finances. So um, there was a time when women, you know, they weren't even part of the conversation as it relates to love and money. Women were always seeking financial stability in a marriage and men were seeking to be the provider. That dynamic has changed and shifted. Again, some women are still seeking that and some men are still seeking that. Um, But, you know, there are a lot more women who are seeking seeking that but maybe having trouble finding it and I can speak from for black women or women of color who are really you know zooming as far as work they're creating their own businesses at high rates they're going to college and receiving higher education at, at, at high rates and still if you look at the scale of women getting paid in the workforce for the work that they do they're still underpaid black women are still underpaid as it relates to their other counterparts, including black men in the same fields. It's just the presence of black men in certain fields is not as high. 
And so therefore earning potential and things, women are coming to these marriages, coming to relationships, black women particularly are coming to these relationships, not on an equal playing field as their, as their counterparts, their male counterparts. And therefore it, the, the conversation around love and money becomes a different conversation, right? If you're looking for your grandparents relationship, looking for a provider, it may be challenging to seek a provider when you yourself are a six figure earner. So, you know, it's out there. I'm not saying it's not, but it can be, it can present a challenge that maybe did not exist before. Um, also going to college and grad school and things put you a little bit later in life. If you put off marriage, put you a little bit later in life and, and your ability to kind of move through love um, at, an, at a younger age than when you are older, older, meaning you're above 25, you've accomplished some things, you're starting to get into the work field. You know, many women are putting off children, starting families, getting married until they're over 30. At that point, the relationship of the relationship between love and money has a different conversation. And again, the idea that women were all were never working or were not um, taking care of families is not necessarily true for black women. Um, black women, you know, tend to work outside the home. And even if it was in domestic um, domestic settings, black women were working outside of the home a lot for a long time, a lot earlier than what people perceive. But even in those instances, quite often her husband had a better job, a job that really sustained the family. And so many of us have this vision of our grandparents' relationships and, and place them up there as relationship goals. But the idea that, like that can be looking at love and money through a rose-colored through rose-colored glasses because the the distinction and the difference around who's earning the money is is important and what each other are seeking in a relationship is also in, important if you think back to when your grandparents were were young if you know if you if your grandparents are your point of reference and, and again I know that there are people who that's not their point of reference so I, I don't seek to exclude you but there is a section of people who you know there's an old time love story that they that they hold on to as to why they or as to what they want um it could be their own parents it doesn't always have to be your grandparents it could be your own parents um but there was an idea if you think about it where there, there might be have been there may have been a great love story with your grandparents or your parents there also might have been a marriage of convenience and and convenience on both ends right when we were at a time when when there was there was a level of lack of options your grandmother had your grandmother could not decide really how many children she had um she could not decide you know to just leave up and leave if she did not love your grandfather anymore she could not really could be sure that she could provide for her now four or five children that she had had and that puts you in a position where you will accept different things um than you may accept if you have options and so well, some of it was a great love story. Some of it was, it was, a, it wasn't a great love story. Some of it was a, a convenient love story and one for which a power dynamic had been set and was not able to be broken because finances really do hold people hostage. Really and truly, if grandma had six kids and no formal education, not a real skill set, where was grandma going to take care of her six kids if she didn't want to be with grandpa anymore? What were truly her options? Um, and, and again, we're talking, we're talking a, a period of time where again, if he wasn't, he wasn't going to half kill you, right? He wasn't abusing you totally because again, even some women had to put up with levels of abuse. 
you know, what was it that he had another woman or another family? How many of us have heard the little rumblings and stories of our grandfathers having another family in the freaking neighborhood? And grandma may or may not have known about that, but what could she really do? So this idea of the options that come to you when your finances are something where you can have control over it is different. We don't know and we would never know, right? If grandma would have had her own skill set, her own ability to make money, would have been free to go out there in the world and like, I can take care of myself and my children. You don't know if grandma and grandpa love story would have lasted 50 years because grandma might have got tired of grandpa's shit and she might have been like, I'm out of here. You just don't know. And so love and, love and money, when it comes together, it does speak to and does talk about and does um, exacerbate a situation and make a decision that you have to make um, that much more challenging, you know? So now, if you fast forward to now, to the current day, you know, there are many options for women now and when if and when they are in a marriage for which they are being economically dependent on their husbands, there are other options. There may be, again, you still, you still meet women to this day who cannot leave their husbands who could be potentially abusive or they just don't love him anymore because of the financial dependency. And that doesn't always come because a woman doesn't work. It could just mean that if someone is out earning you by triple and, and quadruple, it's very hard to imagine leaving that situation and going and going out on your own. So so love and money kind of wrap themselves up together and people are starting to get married, particularly when you get older with the consideration of money in mind in a sense of financial stability. So be around again, this time of year with Valentine's Day and such, there was a um <clears throat> Merrill excuse me, Merrill Lynch, Merrill Edge did a report on romance or finance and what matters most. And when they did a, the, the survey, they found that 56% of those who were surveyed wanted a partner who provided financial stability over love. So more than half of the people answered that financial stability was more important to them than love. And that was the same answer for men and women. 44% wanted to be head over heels in love. And that's still a, a big percentage. And that still makes it very hopeful that people are marrying for love as well. But, you know, to tell you another quick story, I went to Vegas last year and I went by myself. I wanted a little like just downtime. And I don't know, people are finding it very fascinating that I can find downtime in Vegas. People also find it fascinating that your financial emancipator, that's me, is a person who enjoys gambling. I do. I enjoy gambling. I like to play roulette. I'm very controlled. I me, mean, as you can imagine, I, I designate amount of money and everything, but I enjoy gambling I can sit at a roulette table for like hours and play um and once I lose if I lose I don't I don't I don't go back and get more money but I, and I also play really pretty well it's numbers I can kind of think it through and so I was there and I had gone to the spa and I was at the pool and um I had a really good seat at the pool which is hard to find in Vegas and this woman came over and there was a seat open next to me she asked me because she sat down she did she had on the most stunning stunning Gucci glasses I mean these Gucci sunglasses were like amazing I'd never seen them before and I complimented her on the glasses and she said she had just picked them up at the Gucci store again I was staying in Caesars at the time and there's a whole bunch of luxury stores and then she said she had literally just picked them up at the Gucci store and I said that is so dope they're so nice or whatever so we started a conversation she explained to me that it was her birthday and she was there on her own because she had gotten married um and her husband had sent her to Vegas for her birthday I said, oh, that's so sweet. That's nice. And she said, she explained to me, this was her second husband. 
and that you know she had she was explaining to me that he sent her to Vegas she was going to be there he had paid for the spa he had done all these things for her and um and for her birthday and I said oh that's great and everything and she said you know the first time I got married I married for love she's like the second time I got married I married for um I married I married smart that's what she said she's like and I made sure that I married someone who could take care of you know, take care of me financially at this point in my life. And so that's lovely. And she said, I'm not even going to ask you how old you are. I'm just going to tell you that you're too old to get married for love. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And she said, it. and she said, you know, there's, there's too much, there's too much. You don't need to get married for love. Basically. She's like, love is something you experience when you're young and you don't know any better. And she said she loved her husband, but that's not why she married him. She married him because she knew he could take care of her. And that he would take care of her and he was able to provide financially. And I thought it was just a funny conversation. One that sparked out of nowhere just from me complimenting her very stunning Gucci glasses. But it it, it had it sparked a thought in me where it's just like, you know, this idea of marrying for love or money. And as again, as I report on that, the Merrill, the Merrill Edge report, the survey was like people are considering financial stability over this head over heels notion. And I think some of that has to do with people considering and looking towards marriage a little bit older in life because I guess life experience, this different things like that will teach you and show you and make you be in a position to say, okay, I'm going to marry more on a, on a idea that finances are important. Unfortunately, the same survey did demonstrate the things that we talk about on this podcast is that 60% of people are not talking about their debt when they're pursuing a partner. Um, 57% of people will not discuss their salary with a, with a partner or potential partner. Um, and and 51% don't discuss their, their spending habits. So this is a, this is a thing where people are marrying for financial stability or looking towards financial stability for, for a potential relationship and then not discussing the things that make you financially stable when they're pursuing a relationship. And I think it's because we're still in this space where do you discuss love and money together? Um, and again, because I said 44% still want to be head over heels in love. And so it's kind of hard to think, do I go for it in an organic way and say, oh, I just want to have all these feelings and feelings and feelings for this person. And that's why I want to get married, a la getting married for love. Or do we listen to, you know, the woman who I met at the, at the, in Las Vegas who said, no, you don't get married for love. You get married for financial stability at this point in your life. So again, as we always talk on this podcast, I encourage people to talk about these things in the beginning of relationships. You should be talking about the kind of the amount of debt that you have. You should be discussing how you manage debt, discussing your salary. That's a really tough one. People tend to want <clears throat> to hold back on salary, and that's because there's a judgment associated with it. I've been a victim to that at different points in my life, um, and even still now, depending on who the conversation is with. <coughs> I'm apprehensive about discussing salary and maybe and mainly because I feel like there's a judgment that comes along with it. Quite often it's either that people people are very surprised by how much money I make or they're like, "Oh, you should be I I thought you were making more." There's all this thought and I just hate for people to think that. Um people will also look at your life and how you're living and think they know how much money you make anyway, but People can be very cagey about that. But in, even in relationships, you know, I remember the last relationship I was in um, when my partner asked me how much money I made, he kind of chuckled and he was like, well, how much money do you make? I already knew then that it was already, he already had a perceived notion 
about what it meant for me to make money. I already knew I made more money than him. I knew I made substantially more money than him. Um, and when he said it that way, when he said, well, how much money do you make? I knew at that point, well, I didn't know. I made a choice at that point to lie. And I told him, I, I decreased my salary by almost half um, and told him what I made. And he was shocked by that. He was like, oh my goodness, wow, that's, you make a lot of money. And I had already, I had reduced it by so much. And I knew then that th th this money thing was going to be a problem in our relationship. And it it was one of the problems and that we dealt with in the relationship. So, you know, we all fall victim to that. And, and I'm, and I try to continuously tell myself, just like I tell you guys that you have to have these open conversations. I should have been open and honest with him about that because at the end of the day, I don't think it made a difference. Right. So there was no reason to lie. I remember when I, maybe I was younger, when I just turned 30, I used to want to lie to people and tell, I used to tell my friends all the time, every time I meet a guy, I'm going to tell him I'm a receptionist or I'm a secretary. And that's not to disparage those, those positions. I just felt like pe men were more comfortable. When I said that to them, they were far more comfortable pursuing a conversation with me and talking to me. And, 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 I, and it just, it just was. And so I did that for a while. And then, and I would have to hold my tongue because I couldn't say certain things about things that I knew because I was trying to play down who I was so that they wouldn't think about what I did for a living, wouldn't think about the kind of money I made. And, you know, and again, that never turned out to be successful in relationships. And so this interweaving and intermingling of love and money, it comes up. It's a thing. It's something that we have to talk about. It's something that we have to discuss because it's not going to go away. And I mean, think about it for your own life and what you, you know, what you, how you manage love and money, how you manage to th those two things together. Are you honest with your partner or your potential partner? Are you in a relationship right now where you're not being honest with your partner about money? And again, we talk about lying about money is still lying. You know, I know a lot of women who, you know, they lie to their partners, not only about how much money they make, but they lie to their partners about things that they're spending. They, they tell their partners they need money for things and they, 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 you know, they increase it a little bit to put a little little bit of extra on it. You know, there's a lot of non-truths that are going on. Like, again, I saw, I put up a, a, a thing on my Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram and see. I put up a post about a woman who came into her marriage, was married, was together for eight years, had a newborn child, went to grad school, didn't really clearly explain to her husband the amount of debt she was taking on and to come to find out she was in like $250,000 worth of debt for grad school. And had not really explained that to her husband and then was so overwhelmed by it, was not paying the bill the way she was supposed to and was almost going to go into default. So it just, it just turned out to be a really bad thing because she didn't want to have the conversation. So it's really important to talk about money, talk about it in the relationships, talk about what you expect from a partner as you're becoming, as you're dating or getting to know someone and really being honest about how you come to the relationship. It may deter some people. It may make it harder for you to find, you know, if you're seeking your grandmother and grandfather's relationship or your parents' relationship, it may make it more challenging to find that given the way things have changed. But, you know, you still have to be honest and true to what you want. If you want a man who's going to be a provider, you should, you have to speak to that and you have to speak up about that. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to work, but it can mean that you expect that man to be the one who is the, the provider. You should speak to that and you should say it. Um, and you have to understand that some things may have changed. And so when you're making your expectations about how your relationship will look, it may not look like your grandparents, you know, and, and, and that's okay. 
Because if grandma's still alive, talk to grandma about her relationship. If she's that kind of grandma, and she could tell you what really was going on. And and even if you, you know, grandpas tend to be a little more cagey, but even your mom, talk to your mom about her relationships. Talk to her about how she felt when she was, you know, if she was economically dependent on your dad and what that was like. You know, talk to them and find out as you're making these expectations for your for your relationships, find out what it was really like. Because love and marriage, love and relationships, love and money, it doesn't always go the way that we perceive it on the outside. And sometimes some of the ways in which we're carrying and thinking we're seeking and creating financial goals and marriage goals around are all based on a bunch of lies. So I'm gonna wrap that up. Um, consider, consider talking and being more open about your finances to anyone who's a potential partner so that you can kind <clears> of... <throat> assess if, if where you're going to go and how you're going to get there if you haven't already done so please follow me on instagram uh, financial emancipation follow me on twitter at fin emancipation <clears throat> follow me on facebook um financial emancipation and that's where you can comment on your thoughts about the woman who came into the marriage with, and had so much debt and what her husband should do and if you have any questions for me feel free to email me at malik m-a-l-i-e-k at the financial emancipation.com um, this was a much longer episode. I'm trying to do that um, and give a little bit more of a longer episode as I'm kind of cutting back on the number of episodes during the week. So it may be that we do two episodes a week, but they're a little bit longer. This episode will probably be about 30 minutes. So thank you for listening. I know it's hard to listen to some, the same person talk for 30 minutes. It's hard to talk for 30 minutes. Let me just tell you, um, especially with no one else to talk, you know, to talk. So just um, let me know what you think of that format, how you enjoy that and, um, and give me your feedback. I love to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. And um, I hope you'll be back as we continue to discuss the ways in which you walk towards your financial emancipation, getting free from the burden of your finances. Have a great day.